Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. You must take risk. If you don't take risk, nothing's going to happen. Well, that may break. Oh. Or that may wear out. Or, or a patient may die. Yes, a patient may die. But if we don't take the risk, nothing will happen. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Living Legend is the label frequently attached to Manny Villafana. And really, it doesn't even do justice to his career as a medtech innovator, which spans nearly six decades and includes some of the most important breakthroughs in cardiovascular innovation. Starting in the 1970s with his first company, Cardiac Pacemakers Incorporated, better known as CPI. And then there was St. Jude Medical, which introduced a heart valve that became the industry standard and was sold to Abbott Laboratories for $25 billion. We're gonna trace Manny's fascinating, unlikely path from Medtronic salesman to serial entrepreneur. But this is no retrospective. The 81-year-old trailblazer is currently working on his eighth startup, Medical 21, which is developing an artificial artery for bypass surgery. He says it will be his biggest yet, and with his track record, you gotta bet on Manny. A few things to know about Manny Villafana, despite all of his success, he still very much identifies with his roots as a poor Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx. He didn't go to college, but he received an honorary Doctor of Science degree from the University of Iowa. He gets up every day at 5 a.m., he works out, he has breakfast at the Minneapolis Club, and then he heads to his office in Plymouth, always in a suit and tie. I feel most comfortable with a tie. Uh If I'm not with a tie, then I would be fidgety and I wouldn't be able to concentrate. uh, Well, I want you to be comfortable. uh, Yeah. Take us back, if you will, to New York. You grew up in the Bronx, right? Yes. I I am the, uh, uh, I'm a Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx, the South Bronx. My parents were born in Puerto Rico, my grandparents, et cetera, all born in Puerto Rico. I was born in New York. Um, I grew up in the South Bronx, and in fact, uh, by the age of seven or eight, my brothers, I had three brothers, they had already left home. Uh, my father died when I was 10 years old, and it was my mother and I. Mm-hmm. My father had zero, zero education, would sign the anything with a proverbial X, and, and I, even though I would grab his hand to try to teach him how to write his name. Uh, my mother only had a third grade education, and that mm. was strictly just Spanish, so that wasn't very helpful. And as I mentioned, my brothers had already left. Mm-hmm. Okay, we had nothing. Uh, we were in the, the poorest congressional district of our country, okay? Mm. But what saved my butt 
was that one of the kids, a guy named Patrick Walsh, that lived exactly across the street from me. I lived at 598 East 139th. He lived at 595. I said to him, where are you guys going on, on a Saturday? Oh, we go down to a boys club. Oh, really? Can I, can I go with you? Yeah, sure. So he introduced me to the boys club. It happened to be Kipps Bay Boys Club. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, 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 it, and let me just tell you, it's very, very simple what boys clubs do, but it's phenomenal. And that is they take the kid off the street. Mm. All right. They put it into a building. And in that building, you have people who love you, you know, uh, who do all their work and, you know, and stuff like that, taking care of the young men the young boys that were coming in through the door, anywhere from six years old to 19, 20 years old. And, and you were how old when you discovered the boys? Nine club? years old. Okay. Nine years old. Okay. Now, biggest, big challenge was I had to go to the boys club by subway because it was far, far away, but we snuck on the subway if there wasn't a cop around and, you know, and that kind of stuff. So we got to the boys club. They taught me. They took care of me. Uh, really... And when my father died, it was, there I was, just mom and I, and, and the club took care of me to yeah. the point that, that one, of these, uh, one of my mentors, one of my surrogate fathers, in fact, I call him a surrogate father, was the director of the club, who later on was the recipient of one of my pacemakers. There were a lot of jobs that set Manny up for the work of pacemakers. He started his career in a print shop where he learned to read complex engineering manuals. He moved on to a chemistry company where he learned how to run a lab. In the early 1960s, he landed a job with a small medical industry company. And that led to a sales position with Picker International. And the company was involved in the export of medical products in this country at that time. Uh, which now we're talking about 1964, Mm -hmm. okay? We had the small medical industry and international? What is that? This is where you ship a product? How do you ship it? What's a bill of lading? What is a letter of credit? Uh, You know, what what is 220 volts? No, no, 110 volts. No, no, no. All the differences were enough that a lot of medical companies did not know how to export. So they, uh, called Picker International, they were a subsidiary of Picker X-Ray, the biggest X-Ray company in the world, said, we have all of these little companies around the world to take care of the X-Ray equipment in every hospital. We have good engineers, good people, and they, they don't have anything else to do. Why don't we give them something else to do? And so they started going to small medical companies, you know, in, in the medical area, like electrocardiograms, and uh, fulguration equipment and everything, and they and they went and there was a little company that they, they called on, which was Medtronic. Right, early days of Medtronic. Early days of Medtronic, and Sales. that became one of your clients. Yeah, and and earlier, in those days, they had less than less than a million dollars in sales. Huh. They were losing money like crazy. They they've gone through two bankruptcies and stuff like that, and so. I kind of favored that, that product for some reason. You got to remember, everybody said, why did you go in the medical field? Why, did, why, why the heart, Manny? Because I had three brothers. They all died in their 40s and 50s of heart disease. Mm. I had a father who died somewhere between 59 and 69 of heart disease. Okay? Not cancer, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And so, hmm, maybe I should pay attention to this. And Medtronic okay. was doing what in those Making days? pacemakers, mm-hmm. okay? Just recently introduced the pacemaker, okay? They didn't last long, though. No, they were big as a hockey puck, and they would last maybe 12 to 18 months. And then they would actually have people would have their birthday parties. They would have to take their pacemaker out. So that they can put another <gasps> a big event. So, so Medtron- that's how often. So you got to know Medtronic. They eventually lured you to Minnesota. Right. You, this kid from the Bronx who is now on this sales track, moves to Minnesota to work for Medtronic. Right. What? Why did you do it? Why did you move? <laughs> Everybody asked me that. And I said, are you kidding me? It's like looking a gift horse in the mouth. Okay. They, you know, they came, Manny, we want to hire you. I said, great. People say, well, did you talk about salary? No. Did you talk about contract? No. I just said, yes. And they said, why? I said, it was a gift horse. I'm getting out of the Bronx. <laughs> Katie, you understand that? I'm getting out of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I'm getting out, you know. And, and I happened, you know, the, to enjoy the technology. I enjoyed the company. But you were in a sales role when you started? That's correct. Okay. A sales administration role. I was in the OR virtually every day, in the operating room virtually every day. Because, sales guy in the OR. Yeah, I'm the, they write stories about the fact Manny used to teach us, okay? Mm-hmm. There's stories on that. <laughs> I know. Okay, all right, all right. Um, uh, and so I used to go in and teach him how to put in pacemaker. Pacemaker was so new. What, what are you talking about, putting a catheter in a body? Yeah, let me move over. Here, I got, I got my gloves on. <laughs> move over, and we would do it together, okay? Yeah. Now we would teach him. Mm-hmm. But they were failing and failing badly. Then I finally came back after two years. I said, look, guys, we got to do something better. These things are just not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, there was a, a, one of the engineers, not, not the Medtronic engineer, but a scientist who was working on a new chemistry, a new, wave, uh, new battery. And I talked to him, and, you know, and we worked out a deal. And I went to Medtronic and said, look, look, why don't we work on this together? I think we can make a pacemaker last 10 years. I said, man, it can't be done. Forget about it. Hmm. Every pacemaker in the world only lasted about 18 months, you know, sometimes two years, but that was it. And everybody had tried something. So I said, why don't we do it together? And he said, no. Well, then I said, I'm going to do it. And as soon as I said that, and I was in the office of the president, it was a different president now, okay? He walked me out of his office. We took the elevator, went down. And as we went to the reception desk, he ushered you out. He pulled my badge off, put it on the desk, and walked me out. And he said, ciao, goodbye. Wow. Because he knew that if I said to anybody that I'm going to do this, you know, engineers from Medtronic would Mm -hmm. come and blah, blah, blah. But you did it. You went and did it. Yeah, I did it. I did it. And I did not hire a single engineer from Medtronic. Okay? (laughs) All right? Uh, So anyway. So your first... Medical device company was CPI Car- called Cardiac Pacemakers Inc. And over the generation, you know, over the years, it became Guide. And then finally, Boston Scientific bought it for $27.2 billion. That's what it'd be. Right. Okay. How in the world did you know how to create a better pacemaker than Medtronic? Okay, this is a perfect time to say, please, I tell this to everybody. You can't do these things alone. 
Okay, you know, I get, you know, with due respect, I get laurels from different people in magazines and stuff like that, you know, but wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. It's not Manny Villafana alone. It's Manny Villafana with teams of people, all right? Now, I made a decision when we were doing CPI that I'm not going to hire any engineers. Why? Because all the engineers said it can't be done, okay? Hmm. There was a big void of a technology that we needed to go from a pacemaker to a new pacemaker that would last 10 years, mm-hmm. okay? And that all the other pacemaker companies, including Medtronic, and there was about six pacemaker companies, all stopped at 18 months, 20 months. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so to, to say, well, no, we're going to make a 10-year pacemaker, Manny, do you realize what it takes and all that? So I, I hired a couple of engineers from our computer industry. At that time, control data was the cat's meow here in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Okay? They were it. This is where pacemaker, this is where, I'm sorry, computers started was in the Twin Cities. Yes. Not Silicon Valley and right. all that sort of stuff. Long okay? before. Mm-hmm. Long before. So I took two engineers from there, and I told them, this is what I want coming out of that pacemaker. Here is a new type of battery we're going to use. You make the circuit. You tell, it, tell me how to do it. And they designed it. And, and the fact that we designed it in less than a year, from the day we opened the doors to the day we did the first human implant, was only nine and a half months. Unbelievable. And that, the, the big difference, if, I'm, if I understand correctly, is that you used a lithium battery. That, that hadn't been done before, and that's what gave it the longer... Life. No, no, that was only part of it. The real part was how do you take a lithium battery and protect it? Because if you hit it with any moisture, guess what's going to happen in your body? Stops working. No, it's no. going to go boom. It will explode. Oh, not good. Not good. In fact, I remember once there was a, an article written by uh, one of the engineers of Medtronic talking about you, know, you shouldn't do a lithium pacemaker in the body because if, if the patient gets shot, it will explode. And the answer is, yes, that is correct. But you forgot the second sentence, sir, and that is the patient's got some other problems first. <laughs> All right? And, and so, no, we have to learn not only to take this power supply, how to protect that power supply, and then how to protect the circuit, how to make it something hermetically sealed oh, so nothing would get in. And the standard pacemaker is the opposite. You have to let it breathe because it emits gas. Mm. And you have to let things, and of course, things would get into the pacemakers and screw it up. I had to make a pacemaker that was totally, totally sealed from the outside world. Okay? And it was, how do you get the electricity out? Well, we have to create a feed-through. What's a feed-through? Kinds of simple things that we use today mm-hmm. did not exist at that time. But the, but the computer industry, of course, was... A little bit ahead in electronics because you're always working on electronics. We took the electronics and we made hybrid circuits. We were the first company to make a hybrid circuit in-house. Medtronic was trying to do it outside, but we were doing it in-house. And we made a pacemaker that was half the size, okay, half the weight, and still running. I have pacemakers that are still running 49 years later. Unbelievable. Okay. How did Medtronic react? They sued me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what yeah. came of that? Oh, that's the most interesting story. So they sue us, and, you know, and we're dying because, you know, they have the lawyers, they have the money. We were a teeny-weeny little company. And finally, my guys said, 
man, we're going to have to do something. We've got to get rid of these lawyers. We got, it's killing us. You know, they're suing us. Good. They want to bury us. And why don't we set up a royalty arrangement? And I said, oh, that irks me. We have, we have done nothing. We have taken nothing from them. And we, and we have created this and we're paying them. At the same time, they were also killing us because we wanted to make a certain circuit that, that Medtronic had the patents on. Totally. Mm. We couldn't get around it no matter what. So anyway, they said, why don't we pay them some royalty? Or maybe we can get them off our back. And I, that really bothered me. So I took the little piece of paper. We were supposed to work out a, a royalty range of about 4% or something like that. And I call up Earl Bakken, at that time the president. Mm -hmm. I said, Earl, how about, a, how about a drink tonight? I'll meet you for a drink. He said, sure. So we went to a small little restaurant here in, in, in the Twin Cities called Little Jack's. And it was late. I remember it was late at night because it was kind of dark when I walked in. And we just he and I sat alone. No lawyers, no nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I said to him, Earl, you know I'm an honest guy. I mean, you hired me, and you know that I'm an honest guy. I've worked for you. He said, yeah, you're an honest guy, Manny. I know that. And I said, you know one of the other guys, his name is Tony? You know Tony. He's, and he said, yeah, Tony's as, as honest as the day is long. He was a very, very wonderful person. And then, and then I said, this other guy, Art, you know, I mean, you, you hired him. He's worked for you for years, and he's out of the pacemaker industry. And I hired him. He was making, believe it or not, trailers, you know, park, trailer parks, you know. Mm -hmm. And he's out of the pacemaker industry, and he's worked for you so many. You know how honest he is. Yeah. And I said, there's one other guy. You may not know him, but I can tell you he's honest. So the four of us, you got to understand we're honest guys. He says, yeah. And I could tell you, we have taken nothing. He said, Manny, I believe you. So then I leaned a little bit closer to him, nose to nose, so to speak. Then why the hell are you suing us? And he says, Manny, you're right. We shouldn't be suing you. I'll take care of it. So the following day, just by coincidence, I'm being deposed. Now, I'm a young man, never been deposed. Right now, I'm, what, 30 years old? When this is all happening, and and this and at this point, I mean, Cardiac Pacemakers Incorporated is is taking off. It's working. You're no, yeah. We're got... trying to make this. Yeah. And, and they're suing us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we got you know a few little pacemakers, and and we're trying to make this what we call a demand pacemaker. But we couldn't because they had the patents and everything. So anyway, they're they're killing us. But anyway, at that following morning, I'm being deposed, and I and I. Um, you know, answer all the standard questions. And about half hour into the deposition, I said, why are we doing this, gentlemen? Of course, my, my lawyer is sitting here next to me and the other lawyer is on the other side of the table. And he said, Mr. Villafano, you're being deposed. And my lawyer says, Tom, Tom King, he says, man, you're being deposed. I said, yeah, but this lawsuit is over. And they all kind of looked at me, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I had a conversation with Mr. Bakken last night, and he said, it's over. And, of course, the attitude was, oh, yeah, right, yeah, forget it, you know, you know. I said, no, please, go outside, go to my office, call him. So the three Texas lawyers of Medtronic left the room, and they went to call. In the meantime, my attorney, Tom, said, what in the world are you talking about, Manny? Blah, blah, blah. You know, are you crazy and all that? Yeah, yeah, Manny, Manny. You talked to Yeah, but come on. I said, he said, it's over. So they went out. 20 minutes later, they come back into the room, and they said, 
without sitting down, they put their papers into their attache cases and they said, Mr. Villafana, our apologies. And wow. they left. Finish, we all saw. Uh-huh. And it was fine. And about two, three months later, my lawyer called me up. He said, Manny, oh, Medtronic wants $100,000. I said, what for? <laughs> and I said, well, they want, to, want you to pay for their attorney fees. And I said, are you kidding me? I, you know, and I, my Puerto Rican came out of me. Sure, okay? Sure. All right? And using, I thought you would do four-letter words, I had you beat. Okay? <laughs> so anyway, and I said, okay, and what are they going to do for us? He said, Manny, 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 we don't want this lawsuit to come back. I said, and what are they going to do for us? And he says, what are you talking about? He, the lawyer, all right, Tom says to me, I said, if I'm correct, the president of the company admitted to me that they were wrong mm -hmm. and they were trying, you know, and that and they were wrong in suing us. Mm -hmm. All right. So what is Medtronic going to do for us so that we don't sue them for harassment as, as said by their, their, their president? Many, many, many. I said, go and get them. I told Tom, Tom, go and talk to them. So I sent my attorney after them. Two days later, not two weeks, two days later, calls me back and said, Manny, Medtronic said that if you do not sue them, you have the use of, at no charge, of all of their patents. Whoa. That's the whoa. Yeah. And guess what? One of those patents was the demand pacemaker. So immediately, we'd be able to make the demand pacemaker, and then we really start to rock and roll. Unbelievable. You sold CPI in 1978 to, to Eli Lilly, Lilly and Co. for $127 yeah. million. Yeah. Um, later, that was acquired by Boston Scientific. Right. That whole thing was acquired. So that put you on the map. You've now had this unbelievable success outside of Medtronic. You, you did it. Um, you then went and started St. Jude Medical. What, what, did, what, did this, what did that first experience do for you, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a, a founder? Well, it, d doing a startup company, all right, you're, you're exposed to everything, okay? Uh, we have no money to pay the rent. We have, you know, all these. So you, you're learning financing. You're learning what you have to do. You're learning how to do something with no money. You're learning how to. Hire people. How do you hire an engineer and say, by the way, we have no money to pay you. By the way, the vacation, I don't even know how to spell that word, you know, and things like that. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. So immediately you start learning how to, something that I, I teach now is how do you hire and retain good people, mm -hmm. you know? So that's all part of that that came up. How do you handle lawsuits, bro? All of these battle scenes, you're thrown into the, into the battle, and you learn that. Now, while we were doing CPI, two doctors, two surgeons from two different parts of the country, one from Newark, New Jersey, and the other one from Minneapolis, came to me independently and said, Manny, you've done a great job on pacemaker, but what we really need is a heart valve. Honest, I didn't. Heart valve? What, what is that? Yeah, you got four of them in your heart, Manny. Right. They came right. to you yeah, for yeah. heart valves. Yeah, yeah, heart valves, okay? And, and I said, yeah, I don't. What's, you know, what do you want to do? And one of them had a little prototype that looked good. He explained a few things about heart valves. And, okay, I learned fast. And, and he said, 
we want CPI to make this. Okay, and he was a very, this was Dr. Nikoloff, a very prominent surgeon here in town. Uh, he was one of our biggest customers at, at, at CPI. So I went to the guys, and at this time, this is now 1975, the end of 75, and I said, at that time, we, we were making so many pacemakers that we were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The lights never went off, okay? We were building buildings like crazy, trying to expand, constantly expanding, constantly expanding. And so I came up and I said, hey, by the way, our friend Nick wants us to make a heart valve. And one of the guys said, what are you talking about? We don't even have enough time to take a piss, okay? <laughs> Using that word from the Bible. It's a legitimate word. It. It's a fine. legitimate word, okay? And so you start another company. So I started another company. I said, well, guys, look, I've done my thing here at CPI. You know, I'm, I'm more of the creative guy. Yeah. I, I don't get my jollies watching a company go from 500 people to 5,000 to 10,000. That, that doesn't turn me on. What turns me on is creating, filling a need, you know, and I understand it's a tremendous need in heart valves. And they said, so I said, you mind if I go? Yeah, do your thing, Manny. Okay. And I left and I went into one of the buildings that, that we were emptying out. I said, do you mind if I use that last building? And they said, talk to the landlord. The, the building doesn't belong to CPI. We rent it. Talk to, to and so I left, turned over the leadership to, to the other guys and I left. And I started a little company called St. Jude Medical, okay, in which we were going to make a different kind of heart valve. And that was a challenge and a half, mm -hmm. you know, so from a technology point of view and solving the problems. And, and people really were saying, Manny, no, you're not going to do that. No, it can't be done. No, forget about it. And really, really challenged. And at times, I was saying, they are so right. I, I remember at one point, I was went back to the machine shop. And in the machine shop, there was this guy named Charlie Hosley. He was a, a heavy set kind of guy, short guy, great worker, wearing an apron, you know, a, a machinist has these leather aprons and he's adjusting the machines and, you know, and he's crying. I said, Charlie, what's wrong? He said, Manny, do you realize that this is the 26th iteration of the St. Javel. We were trying and mm. trying and changing and this and that. 26 iterations, okay? That, what was the breakthrough? Well, the breakthrough is we finally got it that, that it would work and it wouldn't break and it would, you know, a biggest challenge, one of our biggest challenge was how to put the whole thing together because we're working with a material that was like glass. It's actually glass. It's called pyrolytic carbon, compressed glass, like the glass on that door, mm -hmm. okay? And we finally got it, and then we, and then, you know, how long will it last? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you really, what people don't understand, and it still is one of my biggest challenges, is telling people, you must take risk. Hmm. If you don't take risk, nothing's going to happen. Well, that may break, oh, or that may wear out, or, or a patient may die. Yes, a patient may die, but if we don't take the risk, nothing will happen. And that's one of my mottos. In fact, the last slide when I'm talking about entrepreneurship is that slide that says, the greatest hazard in life is the one who does not take risk. 
So what was that next big risk? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Let's hear how Manny's next few successes and a couple of failures led to today's big endeavor, Medical 21. By the time I left St. Jude, uh, it was the most commonly used heart valve in the world. Uh, eventually, it was bought by Abbott for $30 billion. The first one was 27 The other one did a little bit better, $27 billion. And, um, and, and you know, and one of my friends who was working at St. Jude but got fired. After I left, he got fired. And, uh, and he and I, we put our hats together and everything, and we, we started to pursue another idea of, of angioplasty, but with a laser trying to open up clogged arteries and stuff like that. And we had some degree of success with that. And we finally, uh, I left the company because my friend and I, at one point, were not seeing eye to eye. And the board said, Manny, we'll replace him. And I said, no, no, I'm going to leave. Let, he can run the company. He knows what he's doing, but he wants to do it his way. And that's fine. And I left. And then that company was eventually bought out by Spectronetics, okay? Uh, then I was approached by some, some uh, scientists from Endotronics, another local company here in town, to try to grow mammalian cells. And we formed a company called Helix Biocore. And uh, we were trying to, to grow cells that would produce protein that we can make these super drugs like, you know, uh, TPA and a variety of different drugs. A great idea and everything. But in the course of doing that, uh, I was not having success in attracting drug companies to give us their cell lines so that we can grow the cell line. And I was really scratching my head because I thought our technology was great. It could, it could save a lot of money for these companies. But it turned out that they were hesitant to give us our cell line because one of the guys, and I didn't know this at the time, had a um, questionable background. I'll leave it at that. Okay. okay. All right. So finally, I said, gee, we're, we're in trouble. And at that time, six guys from Europe called me up on the phone. And they say, Manny, uh, can we talk to you about, can you come out to, to Geneva? Now, one of those guys happened to be one of my biggest shareholders. So when one of your shareholders, the biggest shareholder, says, you're coming to Geneva, guess what? I'm going to Geneva. So I went to Geneva, and I get there, and there's these six guys, and they all happen to be the sales force, the European sales force of St. Jude. And, Hi, guys. How are you? What are you doing? And I said, well, Manny, we want you to help us get back into the heart valve market. We have been terminated by St. Jude because St. Jude has made the decision to go direct. You must understand that some of these guys selling heart valves were making three, four plus million per year. 
selling heart valves. Hmm. Great job. Great, yeah. great, great return for them and all that sort of stuff. But somebody, some accounting individual said, you know, Mr. St. Jude, uh, you're giving away a lot of money. We can have twice as many salesmen, 10 times as many salesmen, or we can save all that money and bring it down to the bottom line, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And they go direct. I am an individual and in all of my companies, including my present company, work with independent reps. And that's a different story. We don't have that story for an hour here. Okay. okay. Part right. two, part three two, or four. Part two or three or four. <laughs> so anyway, I finally, um, I said, what do you want? And we talked. And finally, I ended up calling the president of another valve company called Carbomedics. And I said, guy, you know, I got a good sales force that can sell for you. And they said, Manny, what are you talking about? We have our own sales force. Yeah, but not as good as this one. So I said to the president, I want you to come to Geneva and meet me. And he said, okay, I'll be there tomorrow morning. So all of a sudden, the former president of St. Jude and the president of Carbomedics were uh, here in Geneva, and I tried to get everything together. And what ended up was that the guys told me, why don't you make a heart valve, Manny? He, these are the, the deficiencies of the St. Jude valve, and can we do it better? And I was looking at some designs and stuff like that, and I said, I think we can do it better. I said, exactly. And then Carbomedics said, look, we don't need a sales force. Why don't you make another valve, which I did, which was the ATS valve. And guess what? I had a great sales force sitting right there. Manny, come on, let's get going. I said, well, gee, I got to put some money to do this. They put the money in. You ended up selling ATS to Metro your former employer, and, and, Medtronic. And, and later on, yes, it did well. We got a better valve. In my opinion, the best valve in the world is still the ATS valve, which is now a Medtronic valve. Okay. How did that feel to, to end up for $370 million? It actually turned out to be $400 million because oh. they picked up some debt. Okay. okay. All right. How did that feel, though, having been kind of tossed out of Medtronic with your entrepreneurial uh, ideas yeah. and then yeah. there you are? But, but, but you know, it, it, you don't look back at back events and, you know, you learn from the events. But, you, okay, I learned from that or whatever it is, the good or the bad of it. Let's keep going forward. And very rarely do I look in my rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, I just keep going forward. Okay. Was there any part of you after these successes? You, your, your life is transformed. You're, you've, you've succeeded on every level. You've made money. Did you just think about, you know, going, going to the beach, hanging it up? Look, one day, I was in. Uh, I was uh, talking to a. a brand new edition of a MBA gentleman who had just graduated from the MBA program at Harvard. And I have lectured at Harvard. And he said to me, almost like the same thing you just said, you know, going to the beach, he said, Manny, why aren't you playing golf? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I told him this story. And I think it might be of interest to your listeners. And that is this. I was in Spain and one day and I was talking to some surgeons. And they were talking about a heart transplant. And I said, you know, guys, I've never seen a heart transplant. And they said, fine. Um, are, are you here f for the weekend? It just happened to be a Friday. And I said, yeah, I'm, I, I don't leave Spain until Monday. So I'm spending the weekend here in, in Madrid. And they said, well, we'll, 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 over the weekend we'll do one and, and you can come and see it. 
And of course, I said, wait a minute, guys. How do you know you're going to do one this weekend? And he took me over to the window, opened up this window, and I was looking over a mall, over a plaza in Madrid, and everybody was driving around these little scooters, these little mopeds, and very few, if any, were wearing a helmet. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow. And he said, and it's even worse on the weekend, okay? Don't worry, we will have one. And sure enough, I don't remember if it was a Friday night or a Saturday night. He calls me up. I'm sleeping, you know, and come on down. Senor Villafania, come on down. So I jumped up and I went and went to a very dark hospital and the whole thing and finally went into the OR and the lights are bright and then you're hearing beep, 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 all the monitors and things like that. And I go right to the, the head. And, you know, I'm gowned up. I'm invited. Remember, we were talking about being in the OR. Mm -hmm. I'm in the OR all the time, mm -hmm. okay? And I'm looking over, and there's a chest open. There's a heart, the old heart. And then just at that moment, boom, the door opens up, and there's a guy with a face mask. But he's not wearing a face mask. He's carrying it in his hand and putting it over his face, okay? And he has in the, in the right hand an igloo, a little Coca-Cola can, or not a can, a little box that you take to the beach. Yeah. Okay? Cooler. A cooler. Mm -hmm. Okay? And he opens it up, and he pulls out a standard, no different, Ziploc baggie, the one that has your sandwich in it. Sure. Okay? All right? But in it is a heart. <laughs> okay? So he says, well, it's not just senoras, you know, and it's about two in the morning when we're doing this. And, and uh, he pulls out the heart, and... And they check the numbers, you know, that's the right blood type, blah, blah, blah. And he puts the, the heart right at a table, just like this table is next to me here. Puts it right there. I'm looking at the heart down here, and there is his heart, okay? And he leaves, okay? And then they would say, okay, let's go, let's go. And so they start working, and they start taking out the old heart. And when they took out the old heart, they put it on the same table, and it was still beating. Hmm. And they take the new heart and they start working on that, start putting it in and everything. In the meantime, I'm looking at the old heart and it's still beating, going a little bit slower, but it's still beating. Mm -hmm. Okay, and every so often I look over and it's still beating. Okay, and then finally, when they got the, the new heart all hooked up and they release the clamp so that our blood goes into that new heart and it starts to beat immediately the old heart stopped. Hmm. It was like life left the old heart and jumped into the new heart. At which point I said to the young man, and when golfing is as exciting as that, maybe I'll take it up. Huh. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. This, so, my, my work is the most exciting work in the world. The beach, I never liked the beach. <laughs> never. So let's talk about your latest company, which okay. is in growth mode, right. Medical 21. What, what are you trying to solve now? Well, in the world today, about 800,000 to a million times per year, 800,000 patients to a million patients per year, they have what they call bypass surgery. In other words, the patient has pain, chest pains, uh, there's blockages on his heart or her heart. And usually they will say, you know, Charlie, uh, I know you got the chest pain. We just took an angiogram, a picture of you, and it looks, it looks like you got a couple of blockages. 
we're going to try to open those up with a balloon, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to do what we call an angioplasty, and we're going to leave a stent behind to keep those things open. And they do that, and then Charlie says to the doctor, wow, that's great. I don't feel any pain. Goodbye. You know, and he goes, all right, leave. <laughs> Simple as that. Simple yeah. as that. And, you know, and they go home and during the same day. Once in a while, they stay overnight, but most of the time, they're asleep, mm-hmm. okay? But the blockages continue to happen. The guy doesn't change his habit. He's still smoking. He's still eating the wrong thing. Or like some patients, they have a lot of, uh, you know, cholesterol in their body and blah, blah, and they start building up blockages. So eventually, in two days, two months, two years, five years, those stents either start to clog up, but more importantly, new blockages begin to form. So as a result, they come to the point where, Charlie, first of all, those stents that we put in, they're blocked up, and we're going to have to do what we call a bypass. Now, a bypass means that we're going to take a vessel, a vein out of your leg, okay, and a vein maybe out of both legs, and in 23% of patients, an artery out of your arm, and in 95% of the cases, and virtually in all the cases, would take a, an artery off of your breast okay, mm-hmm. and put it on the heart so that we go around these blockages. The average patient gets between three and four grafts or vessels put on a heart. Now, that's major, major league surgery. Major league surgery for pain, for infection, difficulty in walking, um, a variety of different things, cost, et cetera, et cetera. And for years, 50 years, at least 50 years, people have tried to develop an artificial artery. So we don't have to open up the legs and stuff like that. Right. And the biggest of the big, you know, the Medtronics of the world, the St. Jude's, the Boston. And, and why have they failed? Because they all clog up. And you've figured it out? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? I'm the same kid that made a 10-year pacemaker when the people said it couldn't be. And made a heart valve that said, Manny, forget it. Don't even try to do that one. I go after things that people say can't be done. That's one of the greatest pleasures in life, doing things that people say can't be done. We just go the opposite direction. Can you share what the breakthrough was or what's different about your artificial graph? I, I don't know if we want to say a breakthrough, but what we're trying to do and what we have done is create a graph that eventually disappears. For a period of time, that graph will carry blood but it will also be uh, like an incubator that will allow cells from your body, what we call endothelial cells. Every, every part of your body, there's an, every part of your body is a tube. And in that little tube, on the walls of that tube, is endothelial cells. They're all tiny, microscopic in size. That is the natural lining of everything in your body. So what we do is we make this graph, and we make it in such a way that it encourages endothelial cells to start forming on the inside, okay? All right, mm-hmm. so that blood going through there says, hey, I like this area. It's only got our friendly endothelial cells from the very same patient. We're not using any cells from somebody else or any other material, okay? But then we design it in such a way that our, net, that our material that we are using the polymer structure that we are using is absorbed into the body, and all that's left is the endothelial cell, a vessel made up of endothelial cells. Now, people have tried to do that for years, and they have had some success in doing it, 
But then the question comes up, what supports those endothelial cells? These cells are microscopic in nature and all that sort of stuff. Well, what mm-hmm. we do is in, we make two scaffolding. One, the scaffolding of, the, of these uh, polymers that we're using so that the endothelial cells will grow inside. But then around it, we put another scaffolding of a, of a wire called nitinol, which is made of nickel and titanium, very super, super, super thin, so thin it's half the thickness of your hair, that if I put it on your hand and close your eyes and I put it on your hand, you wouldn't even know that I did it. That's how light it is. It's almost like you can't see it, but it's there. All right? Mm -hmm. So we've done that, and then we have done a very large series of animals. We test these things in sheep, okay? Um, Very humane the way we do it, so your listeners don't have to be concerned about that. And and we've done it way beyond what people have done before. I, I remember showing our work to the head of research at Texas Heart, and he said, Manny, the the best graph I ever saw was only lasted three days, and we now have mm. animals 180 days, a lot of 180 days. We have even animals 280 days. And so we're now reached a point where we're ready to begin our clinical trials. We're, getting, wow. we're, we're submitting to the FDA on their fast track. It's called uh, Early Feasibility Study, okay, EFS. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, we've had people from Switzerland. I was on the phone this morning from Switzerland talking to one of the groups that wanted to say, we want to participate early. We're ready to go. And so that's, that's the work that we're doing. Now, to do this work, money. Many <laughs> needs money, okay? All right. And um, we're doing it under the name of Medical 21. We have been able to do all this work over the last six years. We've been doing this hmm. for six years, which is a record for me. Um, we have used only money from from private individuals, okay, and we've had a lot of friends and uh, and investors from all over the world helping us. Now we need some major money for uh, the clinical trials. The clinical trials, and unfortunately, we cannot do an IPO. I've done seven IPOs, but we can't do one because now everybody wants sales. To, you know revenues, and I don't have any revenues because this technology has taken such a long time. Sure. So we're doing a new type of financing. In fact, uh, they're writing stories that that Manny is doing 21st century financing, which is what, which is called a Reg A plus financing, which is open to both accredited investors, private individuals, or or companies. And also the non-accredited, a private individual, Joe the bartender, you know, who wants to put put hmm. in. And why was that important to you? Why did you want to go that route? Let me see. I looked in one pocket and I looked in the other pocket and they were getting pretty empty. Okay? <laughs> That's why. Okay? Remember I told you that when you learn, when you're doing... You'll take anybody's no, no, money. No, no, no. You don't take anybody's <laughs> money. No, no. For example, I have never taken one dime, one penny from venture capital. Why not? Because I like to run the company. And usually venture capitalists have preferences that are beyond what I'm offering my other shareholders. I have a shareholder that comes in day one. I treat him like king or her like a queen because they take the most risk. They put the most real dollars right out of their pocket. Okay, And venture capitalists want to come in later and have better preferences than the king and the queen. No, 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 no. Okay, or you know, they want more protection than, than these these individuals who put in at day one. 
okay? Mm -hmm. And so I don't do that. That's one of the reasons. Now, if a venture capitalist wants to invest in Medical 21, he could sit down and talk to me, or she can sit down and talk to me, and I'll listen. If they have a better idea than what I'm thinking, I'm all for it. I have no, no negative against it. It's just that when they start throwing some of their ideas, it doesn't fit my ideas, okay? It's mm -hmm. as simple as that. And so I never have had to need to do that. Now, now that I need to have revenues, which I don't have, there is a new law that came out that was caused by people, you know, reacting to the fact that they can never get in early on, you know, like the Teslas and things like that, sure. or Googles and stuff, because all the stock was being given away to favorites of the investment banker. This right. one is allows the individual, the small investor, to come in anytime he or she wants to. Okay, now. When they told me that the non-accredited are coming in, I said, whoa, 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 I'm a little nervous about that. And they said, why? I said, well, you know, we, we're working on a high-risk thing. I don't want people to in, inappropriately invest, you know, and possibly lose their money, okay? I mean, I'm the first one to say, wait a minute, Medical 21 is high-risk, and you can lose how much? All of your money, mm -hmm. okay? I make that sure. Everybody got that, okay? Now. Yeah, you said it. When they told me that, I said, whoa. And they said, look, Manny, let's go back to your record. You did CPI, and you probably hold the Guinness's Book of Record as the fastest IPO ever. We did, a, we did an IPO at 114 days from opening wow. the doors. Okay, and I'm sure that at the 114th day, you did not have a pacemaker. You had maybe a piece of paper with a drawing on it, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you did St. Jude, and you did St. Jude in six months, seven months, I, I bet you you didn't have a heart valve looking at you, right? That's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And when you go public, when you do an IPO, both accredited and non-accredited investors come in. All right? So you were accepting non-accredited investors. I never thought of it that way. And he said, now you're talking about Medical 21. You have done 100 animals. You have done six years of work. You know the graph works. You know you've seen the animals. You're ready. You've already said to people that if you, Manny Belafana, needed bypass surgery right now, I know the doctors. I've already told my wife that no one is going to touch my legs, okay? I walked in mm. here. I want to walk out there, okay? Yeah. Once you get bypass surgery in your legs, particularly at my age, it gets a little bit difficult to walk, okay? Forget about it. So that's how far I feel our graph has come. It's ready for me. It should be ready for everybody else, okay? Right. Now, so one other thing they did say that made me feel more comfortable, and I said, now, Manny, by doing a Reg A, the non-accredited investor has to qualify. What does that mean? I said, the most they can put into your company is 10% of what they earn per year. Mm hmm Okay, so, so Joe the bartender can't sell his bar, sell his car, his farm, and a couple of kids to throw it all in, into Medical 21. Right. You know, it's qualified. Some safety, safety measures. measures. Yep. Exactly. So that's how we're doing the financing of this company. We raised how much are you trying to raise? $40 million. Dollars. $40 yeah. million. And, and where do you, how, how long do you anticipate it'll be before this is, you know, actually being used? We're doing this fundraising right now to begin, and, the, and it has gone effective. If, if a person wants to participate, and this is not a solicitation, just go to our website, medical21.com, 
Or there's another website that's, that's cute. Are you ready? Investinmanny.com. All one word, investinmanny.com. Uh, either one's the same. And okay. you read the material and everything, and you know, and if you want to make an investment, you push a little red button. It's a little red button that says invest. Mm-hmm. And you could actually even pay with your credit card. I would think in in some ways, I, I mean, I love that you're opening this up to anyone, but I would think that that the 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 big investors would be throwing money at you after all of your decades of success. Uh, Is that not the case? Uh, you got the magazine. Throw that out there in your magazine, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, no, that is not the case. I wish it was, but it's not the case. Why not? Fine. And is that frustrating to you? Look, I know, I know you love me, and I love you, okay? <laughs> but sit down there as an individual. Sit down there mm-hmm. as an investor. Sit down there as a one of the top investors of our country, okay? Allison mm-hmm. Kaplan, number one investor of our country. Okay. Mm-hmm. You tend to I look wish. for safety. Okay. Yeah. Now here you got this crazy what? Yeah, Puerto Rican kid s- sitting, and he is going to do something that no one, but no one, has been able to do, including the Medtronics of the world that have ten thousand engineers and a gazillion dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this kid is going to do something that no one has been done, and people for fifty years have tried to do this. This is a brand new thing. For 50 mm-hmm. years, people are trying. There's still companies still trying to do it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, that may be a little risky, don't you think? Okay? Yeah. And people will say, well, he's done these things before. Yeah, but he's never done a graph before. He's never done this. He's never done that. Uh, no one has ever done it. And you love that. Oh, you I love, love that. that I love that. I mean, I, that's the challenge for me. I love that. But mm-hmm. from an investment point of view, when you start to really weigh these things and, and you're a prudent investor, that's why you're number one, okay? <laughs> these things come to play, okay? Yeah. And, then, and then you talk to the guy, well, is he a super, super scientist? No, no, he never went to school, okay? You add up all mm-hmm. of these things and you say, hmm. And the last company, by the way, my last company was a company called Kipsway Medical, which we had to close the door, not because we weren't doing our things, but because we had a recession and when I was trying yeah. to raise $50 million, on a $50 million IPO, which was already done, ready to go effective, the market crashed, and we weren't able to pull that off, ran out of money, and had to close the doors. So all of those things are happening. Now, can Manny do this? I, I have a wonderful team. Remember, it's just not Manny. I have a wonderful team. We're mm-hmm. doing it. Doctors are cl- and, and, and literally... Doctors are coming to us, calling us. I mean, I, I have already signed up Mayo Clinic, Texas Heart, University of Minnesota. I want to make them number one again, okay? They mm-hmm. used to be the number one center. That's where open heart surgery started, at the University of Minnesota. I have the, the uh, Heart Center of Wisconsin. All, many, when do we start? Okay, Baylor University, which is part of Texas Heart, has already signed up the papers. They're, 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 you know, when we start, Manny, and then I go to mm-hmm. Switzerland. This morning, I told you I was talking to Bern, which, in my opinion, opinion of many, is the the best hospital in in Europe and other mm-hmm. centers in in Switzerland, ready to go. You know, my challenge is: can we make enough of these? I've already started a second facility to build more now. Can I prove that it works? No. 
When we put the first one in, how long does it last? I don't know. We don't know that. And those are the risks that people seem to be more and more and more adverse to. Can we take that risk? What is You think people are becoming more conservative? Absolutely. Why? Because if I make a mistake, you know, I get sued and this and that in the hospital, boom, 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 you know, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So given your amazing perspective, there aren't a lot of people like you who have been doing this as long as you have. What advice would you give to the, the medical startup community as far as making progress? What do they need to do to get out of your way? Well, we all have to have, and I, I hate to go to my last slide of my presentation, but my last slide is, talks only about risk. I have in part of my presentation, I, I say to everybody, uh, about a third through my presentation, I can see a few heads nodding off, you know, you know, they had a bad night the night before, or my talk is not ringing a bell anywhere. Okay. I finally say, gentlemen, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to open up your shirt and you ladies, open up your blouses. And by me saying that, all of a sudden everybody says, what's, what's he talking about? Okay. But what I was trying to say is, open up your shirt. Ladies, open up your blouses. Take a look. Do you have a big red ass on you? Do you feel that you're a superman or a superwoman? Because if you don't feel that, go home. Because if you're doing a medical technology company, you have to know that your work is going to be as hard as anybody making anything. But then you have the regulatory which just doubles up your work, doubles up your time, doubles up your need for capital. You got to be Superman to withstand all of that. You got to be Superwoman. Okay. And I say that. And so to ask, you know, you asking me a question. So what advice do you have to do? It's look, you, you have to identify a need. If there's not a need, go home also. I want to make a blue pen instead of a red pen. Come on. Let's get serious here. Let's get do something that's serious, something that there is a need. I don't care if it's a need in medical. I don't care if there's a need of a, a new way of driving a car or, or making a battery or, or whatever it is. Okay, but make sure there's a need because there's too many people going to rely on you. Too much money is going to be given to you. And, and then finally, you must be able to take risk. Okay, mm-hmm. I, like for example, no matter what we do, we have to understand that we cannot make a flawless, perfect device. Only God can do that. I once was being interviewed, and at the time, um, there was about 40, 50 articles on, on uh, Boston Scientific had problems with a uh, defibrillator. And the defibrillator has about 10,000 transistors in it, Okay. And when they came to me, and I don't know if it was Twin City Business or, no, I know who it was. It was, it was the Star Tribune. They came to mm-hmm. me and they said, Manny, we'd like to do an article on you, know, on you and defibrillators. I mean, you know the company and you, know, you, you help invent the first defibrillator, okay? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, no, come on, come on. It's about 40, 50 articles. What in the world could I say that has not already been said? Oh, Manny, we want to do an article. So finally, I said to him, I will do an article if you name the article Manny's Comments on Defibrillators and Toilet Paper. Okay? What? Yeah. And they said, <laughs> uh, Manny, the toilet paper? Can you explain that? 
And I said, look, nobody can make a perfect product. We do our best. We take our risk. But even a roll of toilet paper, which is the simplest of products to make, how often do we get a roll of toilet paper and the glue was too much and you, you can't unravel it properly? It's not perfect. A pacemaker, a defibrillator, a graph, a wheel on a car, anything cannot be perfect because only God can make it perfect. And that's what I want to tell in the story. And if you don't accept that title, go home. Well, the editor did not want to put the word toilet paper. I said, goodbye, ciao. Okay? Uh, I would have done it. Yeah. Well, you weren't there. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. What do you consider your greatest accomplishment? My my family. My family. I I go around, and, and honest, you can ask anybody that knows me. Manny will always say that there is nobody in this world that has a better life than I have. I have had the opportunity, God has given me the opportunity to know the highs and the lows. It's given me a beautiful family. Uh, you, you met Elizabeth, okay? Mm-hmm. She's one fantastic lady. Okay, I have wonderful children. I have mm-hmm. two families. I, have, I was previously married, and I, I have children, uh, both. I have two girls right now, a set of twins, 26-year-old twins, you know, if if the viewers mm-hmm. could see them, they would come in and say, We're, "What's what's that telephone number? We want to hire them, or we want to marry them, or whatever." You know, <laughs> and, and the family is fabulous, and and God has given me a decent brain. I was able to absorb everything. I was able to learn, okay, and I'm able to apply. And there are ten million people walking around with my pacemaker. Five million people were with my valves. Think about mm-hmm. that. How many people can say that? You think you're going to see people with your graft? You bet your sweet bippy. I've already had people come in and say, Manny, I'll sign any paper. I want it now. Okay? And, you know, I said, well, you know, we can do it. If if it really is a need, we can get permission to do that. But that will happen, you know. And, and yeah, yeah, we we hope to do our first humans uh, next six to nine months, I'm sure. Yeah, really? That right, soon? Right, okay. right, right. I mean, I could do them tomorrow if, if you know, somebody in the regulatory would say, go, boom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could line them up. Are you already thinking about the next oh, thing? Oh, yeah. We already have the next thing. <laughs> you have the yeah. next thing. So, so we're not going to see you on the golf course anytime soon. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hell no. No, look, I have a meeting coming up with some doctor on a totally different field. You know, and one day I was talking about this uh, a device to control a certain element. In fact, it happens to be female incontinence, okay, which is a very big problem. And I know how to solve it. And this doctor says, "Can I can I work with it?" I said, "Let's have let's have breakfast." You know, I've thrown some ideas and you know a few things like that. And if it does it, he does it on his own. I don't need to do it. I don't need, I don't, believe me, I got enough work on my desk, okay? (laughs) And we're trying to go public eventually and all that sort of stuff, which, again, will create. I'm going to leave you with one thing, okay? We're talking about why you said, well, why isn't everybody not throwing money at you, okay? Yeah. And I, of course, ask that question too, but it is what it is. But everyone talks about Tesla, Elon Musk and Tesla. Great. Yeah. If if and we just did this study about a week ago. If you took a million dollars and you put it in 
when Tesla began, when they went public, okay? Today, that million dollars would be worth 300 million. Not a bad return. I'll take it every no. day of the week, okay? All right? Yes. So, coincidentally, we were looking at a book. There's been several books written, you know, about my work and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. one guy um, wrote about what happened at, at St. Jude. And we, we did the same numbers. We did it. What happens if you took, you know, a uh, million dollars and you put it in when we started St. Jude? And, and in the same amount of time of Tesla, we were in a neighborhood of a billion or two billion dollars. Not three hundred million, but two billion dollars. Billion with, with a B. B. Okay, mm-hmm. think about that. Yeah. All right, and I know—I don't know if I can find it in a book—but I know that when we did CPI, it was even better. Mm-hmm. So again, if somebody says to me, "Why should we invest in Manny?" The, about the only thing you can say is he's done pretty good in the past. But again, you have to use that term, and I'm saying it to your audience here. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. I mean, I have to say that properly, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's probably worth uh, keeping our eye on Medical I 21 so. and everything sure. you're doing. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. By the way, fun fact, the iconic Minneapolis steakhouse Manny's It's named for Manny Villafana. It all makes sense now, doesn't it? Well, let's broaden this out and get some perspective. What can the rest of us take away from Manny's amazing story of entrepreneurship and innovation? We're going to go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Kirk Ryerson is the executive fellow and adjunct professor of healthcare innovation. Kirk, thanks for joining us. And what did you think of Manny? Oh my gosh. So uh, anyone that listened to this and kind of leaned into the conversation, I felt myself not just like leaning in, but also wanting to take notes and also <laughs> Google search. I thought the conversation was fantastic. And what a treasure yeah. for Minneapolis and Minnesota in the history, uh, in addition to the adversity, the creativity, just the energy. So I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I'm curious from your vantage point as somebody who is is teaching healthcare innovation and hearing how he went about things in kind of the most untraditional way, what stood out to you? Uh, so, you know, that tradition, non-tradition in my class, one of the things I always want to inspire my students to think about is that there might not be a playbook. There might not be a secret recipe. Think of Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. Think of the story of Manny. These individuals knew they could do better. Hmm. And what is innovation at its core? It's saying, I know that there's a better way. I know that I can find the avenue to make that real, you know, attainable. Right. So for, for, for my message, and I think for our students too, the number one thing that we find in our innovation in ourselves, those self self reflection moments, is I can do this. It's the courage. It's the resilience. It's the knowing you're going to face adversity. You are going to have a room full of people telling you no. Hmm. And that that spirit, that persistence, that resilience, that knowing you can do it, I think that that is the message for right. me. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's amazing that Manny was doing things intuitively, as you said, you know, without a playbook. At a time before entrepreneurship was as cool as it is today, you know, there, there, there weren't 
people weren't <laughs> going to school for entrepreneurship. I think today you have students coming in who are already wired to say, I want to disrupt something. Manny just did it. But but when it's more intentional, it also puts more pressure on. So how do you talk to, to students about, you know, being like Manny? So the one thing that we start on, the universal uh, jumping off point is passion. Hmm. What is your passion? What fuels you? What is the thing that you would do mm-hmm. if you had unlimited time, budget, energy, uh, what what would that look like? And so let's start from what was uh, passionate. So Manny was a serial entrepreneur, but he was the quintessential, I can do this better. So continuous improvement. I know my customers, my patients deserve more. I know that they shouldn't be spending more time getting their batteries replaced than yeah. just enjoying a normal, healthy, safe, safer lifestyle. So I think it's this idea of what are you passionate about? What fuels your innovation and creativity? And do you have that confidence in yourself, your abilities, or the team that you work with to realize those objectives? I think one of the stories that Manny also brings up is that he wasn't doing this alone. He might be the person we think of, the person that we would recognize and congratulate, but many times in the conversation, his family, his upbringing, surrounding himself with people. But I think it was this eternal optimism. Mm. Yep. You know, that, that that fueled him through. I mean, think about all the adversities, all of the opportunities, man, he had a chance to say no mm-hmm. or to give up. So it's the passion. You right. got to have passion to keep you moving forward. Right. And that's interesting coming from you in, in the classroom and a professor that, you know, we think about uh, writing the business plan and doing all of the, the technical side of things. But you got to you got to feel it, too. In oh, you got to feel it. Like, so the stakeholder analysis. How do you have the buy in? How do you work with your senior level executives? How do you actually move something forward? So the one thing I'll tell my students, and I ask them to bring this into the conversation is, how are they actually getting and promoting the idea? Where is the support? We have terms like champions and sponsors. Mm -hmm. Like you are building a fan base because what you're representing is change. And most human beings don't like change. Mm. So how how do we have that conversation in a way that shares the benefits and how do we also ask ourselves and incentivize the way we think about change as something to be celebrated? Mm. How do we take risks? How do we experience failure? What are those learnings? So I, I would say that part of the innovation lifestyle or that creativity comes from yourself, but also the environment to help support it. Right. So much to think about. Thank you so much, Professor Ryerson. We appreciate you coming on the show and hope you'll come back again. I would love to come back. You let me know and I'll be there. Okay. It's it's recorded. We've got it on okay. record. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business. If you like what you heard, take a minute and to rate and review us. It really helps the show. If you want to know more, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Associate Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. <laughs> <laughs>